0: My name is Terrell Jermaine Starr, host of Black Diplomats, the dopest foreign policy podcast on the planet. Today, we're talking about how Ukrainians are looking at the uprisings in the United States, as well as how the U.S. elections will impact people here. Welcome from Odessa, Ukraine, everybody. Our special guest helping us to break everything down is a fellow Fulbrighter, Volodymyr Dubovic, a Ukraine's leading Americanist. He's the associate professor in the Department of International Relations and the director of the Center for International Studies at Odessa Mechnikov National University. Dubovic has conducted research at the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars and the Center for International and Security Studies at the University of Maryland. He has taught at the University of Washington and at St. Edward's University, University of Texas, Austin, both as a Fulbright Scholar. He is the co-author of the book Ukraine and European Security and has published numerous articles on U.S.-Ukraine relations, regional and international security, and Ukraine's foreign policy. Volodymyr, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me, Tadol.
0: Yeah, you know, it's, um, for a lot of people who don't know, we've known each other for a while. Yes. And uh, I can't remember the first
1: time we met. When was it exactly? It was a couple of years ago, you came to us and we met. Yeah, but I was by that time I was already. By that time i was already following your publications yeah, on various subjects and uh, ever since you wrote that piece for washington post on comparing racism in ukraine and u.s you know i remember your name <laughs> and ever since, and that was five plus years ago so yeah since then i was kind of following your publications and your work
0: i really had no idea the type of impact that that article would have with a lot of ukrainians a lot of ukrainians reached out to me and were like yeah we definitely understand it because I've had very interesting, or let me just be more specific about it. I've had a lot of challenging conversations with Ukrainians about race in America, especially those who go to America. And the reason why those conversations are challenging is because I think for the first time <laughs> in their lives, I've had to tell Ukrainians, when you step foot on American soul, yes, you're Ukrainian, but you're white. <laughs> and, and, like, I, I just explaining that to a lot of my Ukrainian friends and just looking at their eyes as I break down how race functions there, it, it's illuminating for them in many ways. And sometimes the conversation is hard because they're just not introduced to the concept of privilege, white privilege, because we talk about it in America, but it's not something that's discussed you know, in Ukraine a lot. And I know you're doing that work with your students and you invited me uh, the other day to talk to your, not only your students, some staff members at, at your university. Um, But I know being a black person in Ukraine, explaining America the way that I do it is a new experience for them because one, is not often that you have not only a black person who, who, um, is primarily a a teacher or a journalist Mm -hmm. or someone who works in a capacity where they, they, they discuss America from an expert level, but also the fact that I do, I study race for a living, Mm -hmm. like this is what I do. This is my work to explain race. And so when I talk to Ukrainians about race in America, uh, it's often illuminating, but I just want to get your take about you becoming an Americanist, and also talking about uh, race um, in America, and how do you teach, and how you teach it
1: right uh well first of all thanks for doing that talk it was illuminating Uh, i mean much of the things you were saying were familiar to me because i'm interested in the subject but wasn't familiar to many people in the room and that was very interesting because the way the people see the prism here for seeing the uprisings or racial protests in u.s the whole racial issue in u.s uh is uh, trying you know people trying to break through the wall of uh, ignorance misinformation poor information the views are often distorted i mean there is a terrible echo, echo chamber here and people are having this uh, strange thoughts about what's going on, you know, in in U.S. and that's why a lot of times, even among very nice people, or uh, you, you know, decent people, you have this misunderstanding and lack of sympathy and lack of empathy into the movement uh, of uh, Black Lives Matter and 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 related. Uh, movements, uh, you know, social justice, racial justice movements in U.S. So that's the problem. And having you talking to them was very important, meaningful, because they had this direct perspective, your angle that they often don't hear. You know, there is no way for them to hear. What they hear is already a little bit of a of a, of a chain. One one person told another, and then another told another, and then by the time it gets to gets to the Ukrainian newspaper, it's already very much distorted. And from you, it was coming direct and the subject of white privilege was very important because obviously not only here, but also among many white Americans, there was a lot of confusion about why, what are you talking about white privilege? I had my life difficult. Uh, you know, I had to work hard, you know, raise my children. I have no privilege, but yet you do. I mean, because of course, as you know, uh, and many of your listeners know for sure, if you have uh, s- s- people black and white in America in a similar position on the social strata, in their careers and-, and so on, but yet one has that privilege and another one doesn't, you know. and sometimes it's a matter of life and death. And a lot of people here don't understand that, and that's very important for them to understand that, that there is a certain peril that uh, African-Americans are still living under in the United States even though obviously over decades there have been some progress and there have been some advancement and emancipation. And that's another thing people are saying, what are you talking about? Blacks are not discriminated in America anymore because uh, it's all in the past. You know, the slavery is long gone, uh, you know, segregation long gone, Jim Crow law is long gone. So what, what discrimination are you talking about? You had the president, you had the you know, secretary of state, you had all those people, you know, making the careers, you know, they're fine in US. And that's a, a general cons- you know, consensus kind of stereotype that you have here.
0: What I'm interested in hearing from you is when you talk about some of the disturbing things that people think about the uprisings that are taking place in America, I want you to explain that to me, because the advantage that you have is that they're going to be looking at you and be a lot more honest with you than they would with me per se. And eventually we'll talk about this. I'm interested in once you get to America, the conversation that you have with other white people, about black people, but first let's talk about Ukraine and what are some of the misperceptions that people have spoken to you directly about?
1: Right. Well, uh, there are many. And actually um, what I'm trying to do often here when I write or talk to Ukrainian audience is to deconstruct those stereotypes and cliches about a racial issue in American protests this year. And uh, when I do that, there's so much negativism that I often attack and and call names. You know, it's, it gets it gets heated somehow. Like what? I don't know, like de- de- degenerate or something. <laughs> you know, one guy called me degenerate in the comments under you know my Facebook post when I tried to explain and justify and explain to people what this all uh, you know protests are about. Uh, well, one thing for sure is that people only mostly see the the violent part of it, violent side of it. Uh, so uh, they focused on on looting and focused on riots, and uh, forgetting that most of the protests are entirely peaceful. And there was this uh, big research another day, in Washington Post published about it, 93% of the protests were completely, entirely peaceful, and only 7%. And that's, of course, 7% is a big number. I mean, they still could be, you know, victims of the violence, and we should be mindful of that. But at the same time, it's just the 7% of the protests that actually turned violent. And uh, so the people conflating uh, the protests, the riots, and the looting into one single phenomenon, which is which is not, it is, it is not, it should not be seen like this because the protest is one thing, the riots is another, the, the looting is, is another thing. And it's not the same people that would take part in all three, most of the time. So that's one thing. And the uh, media is to blame uh, for this, uh, for, uh, for a big part, because that's what they're showing to the people. They're not showing peaceful protests. They only show- Here in Ukraine. Here in Ukraine, but also in US, You know, here also in US, everywhere in the world. You know, uh, the peaceful doesn't sell well. So you need to show violent. you need to show, shock people, you know, you need to show those burning buildings and people, uh, you know, bar- barging in the, in the store to steal stuff, you know, then then you sell the news and people are kind of shocked, you know, and out and, and they looked at the TV screens and that's what they're looking at because a peaceful protest is, is boring. So who, who would wanna see something about peaceful protest? So there is definitely this phenomenon of sens- sens- sensationalization uh, that the media brings uh, and the same here in Ukraine. So every time, a t- t- talk about protests, I tried to talk about protests and the message and everything and the demands. Uh, at the same time, I, I always hear this, you know, kind of complaints like, but, but what about looting? You know, and this goes like this, like a vicious circle, you know, never ending, you know, like, uh, let's not talk about looting for right now. Let's talk about protests. And then again, but what about looting? So that's one big problem.
0: Why do you think that is, that they don't even want to shift even talk about the reason behind the protest? Why, where right. does that come from?
1: First, Again, that's what they see on TV. Second, it actually confirms the racial stereotypes about the blacks, you know, who are violent, who are radical, who are prone to do things like that. So it's kind of expected for them to do it. And that's why when people see those scenes of looting, they say, oh yeah, sure, that's what they do. Their own racism. Absolutely, absolutely. So a big part, a huge part of it, and maybe the, the main part of it is the racism which exists in the society. And racism exists in many societies, yes, but here for sure. A uh, big part of it actually goes to Soviet times, you know, and that's interesting because uh, that needs to, you know, maybe need to spend a minute on, on this because uh, the, the racism in Soviet Union was not uh, on, a, on a cover, you know, on the on contrary. You know, the Soviet propaganda during the Cold War times within this context of ideological propaganda war with U.S. and the West. They've been talking about discrimination of blacks in America. They've been welcoming people uh, uh, who were fighting against that discrimination in U.S. here as heroes. And the message was a- very much anti-racist. But at the same time, it was phony. You know, like much of the Soviet, in the Soviet Union, this whole, whole ideological facade, you know, was very much phony. And and, and and that included that anti-racist message. Because at the same time, The society was absolutely, you know, isolated from the rest of the world. People didn't travel. People didn't see how other people live in other countries and people of other races lived in other countries. There were some blacks, but very few. And uh, as you know, Terrell, very well, because you've studied that issue, uh, there were some African students coming here and staying there and and having families here. And then there are biracial kids still are and now already in generations of grandkids and so on. Uh, But very few. So people didn't see blacks, people didn't know blacks and people. There was xenophobia always and still is here so much of the roots of the racism that we're having here today in the post soviet space really not just in ukraine you know is uh, going back to the soviet times and uh, that's a problem and a lot of people don't even uh, consciously understand that they are having this racist undertones or impulses you know some people like like in us also there are very many different shades of racism some people are just proud races, all right? You know, they believe in white supremacy. That's their Bible and things like that. So, so there are people like this here too as well. I mean, they, they think that, the, you know, that the blacks belong to the cages or they should be staying or living in the palm tree or something like that. There are people like that. But most people are not, but they still are racist. And often they don't even realize it. And, and it's often happens when you talk to someone here and the first thing you hear is I'm definitely not a racist. And then you talk with that person and very, very quickly, <laughs> you know, you come to the conclusion that, of course, you, of course you are, you know, 100% racist, you know, because there are so many things, you know, that people have here and that's a problem. That's a problem. What also, uh, doesn't help is that a lot of people from Soviet Union they immigrated to US at some point of time and they still do uh, and uh, they brought with them their racism to US and they definitely did not accept uh, this diverse multicultural multiracial society that America is of today, that's something alien to them. And uh, they even reinforced being in US, they even reinforced their racist stereotypes. And they're sharing those, those stereotypes with those who are left here in Ukraine, Russia, and elsewhere. So oftentimes you read the discussion and then said, someone says, but a friend of mine lives somewhere in the city X in US. And he or she says, yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, Blacks are fine. No one does anything bad against them. Uh, you know,' And then yet still they're right. And uh, and they're lazy and they're getting this all social payment for nothing and that's and that's how it is and we pay the taxes and they're getting our money and all of that you know all of that mixture of worst stereotype because stereotypical view. Of, of of the blacks, of the race in America is being reinforced by people who are already there. And they are sharing this with people here. And people here say, okay, look, look, these people live there in US now. They must know what really is going on. So I go with this echo chamber of the diaspora people to, to the local people here. And that's also not helpful. That's also not helpful.
0: You know, what's interesting as I listen to you talk about this, I find that when people talk about the immigrant experience, that's the whole thing, you know, there's this perception of the immigrant versus the people who are there. I came to America with $50 in my pocket, and in five years, I became a millionaire, and look at what I've right. done, right? right? And so and so, the problem with that is a number of them. One, and we'll go into this conversation about white privilege, um, you know, in the show, but the number one thing or our currency i believe that can carry a person very far in america beyond money is their whiteness right right? because there are plenty of studies that show that a a white person with a high school degree or a high school diploma over their lifetimes um will make more money than somebody a black person with a college degree this is just proven as a matter of research and fact right? right and the Ukrainian immigrant, uh, nothing to, or or the Russian immigrant or any immigrant that comes from this part of the world, nothing to take from them. If you in five years amass wealth with $50 in your pocket, um, you know, after five years, that's under any measure, that's incredible. But what actually makes that possible is the fact that because these people are white, the way that they are perceived, their competence is perceived, right. there is a way that they can ascend through all of the social networks that are required sure. to get to that point in ways that even I, a native born black person cannot. Sure. And I think that because uh, we don't even explain that to America, we, well, we explain it, but a lot of white Americans don't listen to us, but even, that's, even white Americans don't get that. So I could definitely understand how a Ukrainian we'll go over with that same mentality. Another thing that people don't think about, especially in New York, a, a lot of Ukrainians come in came in under a legislation, I believe it was during the seventies, I'll fact check that, I don't recall the date, but basically if you were um, particularly a Ukrainian Jew or a Russian Jew or a Madol- from Moldova, um, you know, you could uh, file on the refugee status, mm-hmm. right? And so what I also find with, regardless of how you identify uh, Ukrainians, Russians, whatever, however they identify in this part of the world, they have that. A lot of folks have this mentality of, oh, these black people are criminals. I come over here and I worry about them. But there are so many things, whether it be through legislation, right? right? Whether it be through their whiteness or a number of things that, um, or a number of things, there are a number of privileges and leg ups that they are allowed to help them get to that point. And they don't put that in the proper context
1: right absolutely so there are so many things here in what you said first of all yes indeed uh, i mean uh, still the uh, the avenues for the career development for instance for getting good job in us uh, much smaller and narrower for blacks than, than there are for whites. Even now, you know, even even though there are many whites who are not doing well, uh, who are very much uh, underpaid, who are poor, and we've talked about that. And i traveled around the U. S. and I've seen those areas where you have very poor whites. You know, so that's not like uh, you know all whites are living perfectly or you know making lots of money. Yeah, yeah, or getting the best job. So, but with the black still, with all amount of the busing in the past or affirmative action in the past, it still didn't alter the trend that you talked about you know it's much more difficult for a black person to to become someone to make your career to get a good job in US you have you still have to make this double effort a super effort you know which much more you know Strong effort than than the comparative effort that would have to be made by by white person, and a lot of people here don't understand that, and that's uh, the reality that we need to bring them to them. So, so one of the things that we need to do is just to tell people more about how America is. Mm-hmm. You know that this a diverse country, complicated country. There are many uh, difficult questions to be answered about America. Uh, you guys have stereotypes and cliches, and life is much more complicated than that. So. Surprisingly and paradoxically, America is a big country. It attracts a lot of news. It's a superpower. People looking at America all the time. But at the same time, the amount of good quality, unbiased, objective information about America is lacking. You know, and that's what we're trying to do. People like myself and my colleagues. But that's not easy.
0: So let's talk about the education. So somebody at the university brought up a good point about uh, the importance of schools teaching about what America is, just as you pointed to. But that's where we are. So, you know, Nicole Hannah-Jones, who won her Pulitzer Prize Mm -hmm. this year for the 1619 project, where she discussed, um, where where she talked about the foundation of America being racist and leading up to all these challenges that black folks are dealing with now, particularly with the protests. Why do we protest? And we're going back to 1619. But as you know, there's a lot of pushback from politicians, the president of the United States, Donald Trump. Who said on Twitter that he's going to lead an investigation into the 1619 Project because he and other people, uh, Senator Cotton out of Arkansas, he doesn't want the 1619 Project to exist. Because if we understand America's true history, that painful history, then the cat's out of the bag. And I think that's, that's the issue. The cat is out of the bag.
1: Absolutely. So education is important for Americans, and education is important here for for people who are interested in America, who honestly want to know more about America. Because one thing also that you face here is some people are not interested, and that's that's it. I mean, you can't force them if they are interested in something else, <laughs> I don't know, China or something, or uh, completely you know unrelated issues. They, they they would do that. But but to to those who are interested, it's important to deliver the right, proper information, diverse information, you know, unbiased and 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 information that would be presenting different opinions and angles, and, and that's important too. So it's just not one opinion which is right and everything else is wrong. So that's another thing. On 1619, yes, we've talked about that and I specifically pressed you during your meeting with our students to talk about slavery and how slavery informs in many ways, even what's happening today in America, even though slavery is formally no more than for 160 years now in America. But so many issues specifically, of course, on the race in America go back to slavery and you cannot explain what's going on today. Without, without getting back to the subject of slavery, and it's always here and uh, and 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 there's the issue of reparations, for instance, you know, and I, again against uh, around that issue there's a lot of misconception here, like like who's gonna pay, you know, blacks want money for 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 their ancestors being enslaved, but who's gonna pay? Should should I pay the white American, uh, you know, and uh, how can I pay? I'm already in debt or something like that. So a lot of misconception. And, and the whole concept of the collective white guilt or collective white responsibility, that's that's another thing which is often misunderstood here because people are saying, because I never enslaved anyone or I don't think anyone in my family even was among slave owners, you know, even though many people don't know for sure. Yeah, but, but assume that, but, uh, uh, you know still uh there you know so there is a lot of black backlash against this collective guilt or collective mm-hmm. responsibility. So that's another thing. And, uh, you know, the slavery, uh, there are many other ways the slavery presents itself in American society today. And you talked about a lot and that should be talked about. And that's definitely what, Ameri- what Ukrainians don't know much about is uh, the, the jail system, you know, which is contemporary slavery system, you know, in America and American always was, you know, and considering how many blacks are there and considering how many people are there in the jails, you said two million, uh, which is by far the largest number of any other as a country, you know, it is a huge gulag, you know, comparing to what we had here under Stalin.
0: Talk, talk about that more, the gulag, a huge gulag, a, a, a elaborate,
1: please. Right, right. The gulag here was a place under Stalin mostly, but the camps were, you know, in existence, even after Stalin died, but primarily under Stalin for, for what, 30 years or so? Uh, there were camps for people who were, uh, you know, enemies of the people, Uh, mostly on the fabricated charges brought there, and they had to work hard. And and most of the industrialization, so-called industrialization, 30s, 40s, 50s in Soviet Union, uh, big railroads, big, uh, you know, uh, big roads, uh, big uh, factories, big plants—you uh, know, dams and stuff, stuff like that—they were actually put in place uh, by hands of those people who were in jail and basically enslaved, and and many of them died in in human conditions. And that's exactly what's happening in America. You know, you can recall this Angola jail or some other jail. You know, it's not it's not necessarily just in the South, but I mean, obviously the history and the, and the practice of using—you uh, know—in in, enslaved slash. Uh, jailed black uh, labor power, labor force uh, for for this is specifically strong in the South. Unfortunately, still is. I mean, and that's that's a problem. That's a problem. People don't hear much about it, and uh, and that's another thing. That's another thing. So so there is a lot of idealization of America here in this country. So it's actually interesting. It goes both ways. There are two extremes. Some people just hate America, guts, without really knowing much about it, and they, there is there is a, this strain of anti-Americanism for sure. And that's what I'm fighting often as as a person. I say, look, let's not demonize America. It's much more complicated. There's much more good things about it as well. I mean, comparing to many other places too. So, but at the same time, on another extreme, there is idealization. Everything's perfect. It's an idyllic country, you know. It's a shining, you know, uh, beacon on a hill and stuff like that. Exceptionalism, and uh, you know, there's no one is like America. Uh, there are no problems with America. It's just getting better, and better. So that's another extreme, and that's also not true. And that's another, and that's another reason why a lot of people say what uh, protests are uh, 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 is all wrong, because what they want. I mean, they're already living in the best country in the world. Their their rights, civil rights are protected. Uh, There are strong courts, there is a democratic country. You know, if something is wrong with you, that would be known to the press, and they would make a big fuss out of it. So you're not in danger, uh, really, uh, in today's America. And there is absolute idealization of the law enforcement in America. And that's interesting, because here in Ukraine, we have very low esteem for our law enforcement. And there is a lot of criticism and people don't trust law enforcement here. And there is corruption there, we know. And there is incompetence here, we know about it. So there's quite a wild picture of what actually, despite the progress, little progress and reform in police force that we've had over the last years, there is still a lot to be done, frankly. Uh, So people are critical of our police, but when it comes to American police, somehow they say they're perfect, they never make a mistake, they're sinful. I mean, sinless.
0: The reason why people can critique their, Ukrainians can critique their police in ways they can't critique ours. It goes back to race to a certain extent. And and, and there's a difference too. The major difference between Ukrainian police and American police, they're not as murderous, right? So they're not killing, so are are, are police abusive? And Yes, I've had friends who've experienced, so I'm not saying that at all, but are they killing as many people per capita as America? No way. Okay. That's the major distinction. And so Absolutely. even, and and I think that's the main thing. Uh, if, if, and I'll give you an example because we've spoken about this many times. I've told your, your students and, and the faculty, some of the faculty members at the talk the other day, but when I came to Ukraine as a Fulbright in 2009 through 2010, it was about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. I was stopped so often by police officers that I stopped counting at about 30. And the and, and the police, namely, were just looking for uh, bribes. And so they were banking on you not having documents. They were banking on you being intimidated by their illegal stops, basically. And that you would be an af- somebody from an African country who they feel that they can abuse because they're from the continent of Africa. And that's another distinction. As an American, there are ways in which... People look at my passport and give it more deference than they would somebody that comes from Nigeria or South Africa. And and it's unfortunate. It shouldn't happen. But I'm just being honest. That's what happens. But even with me, um, I was stopped based on my race because, quite frankly, you don't know what I am. Okay, you have no idea what I am, but I'm stopped because I'm black. But the main difference anytime I was stopped by a cop is that I knew that when I left that encounter, I would be alive or that they would not severely maim me or hurt me with a New York City police officer, I would have a lot more fear than I ever would with a Ukrainian police officer. The Ukrainian police officers, you can yell at them, you can scream at them. And I know this because my Ukrainian friends ironically told me, or they taught me how to deal with Ukrainian cops, which is basically to speak English to them. Annoy them and they'll go away. Of course, I understand everything that they're saying. I speak Russian, but like you do those things and they'll go away. with the With the NYPD cop, they're a lot more probing, or any cop in America, they have more. They they feel like they have more authority to put their hands on you. Right. That's not something that I experienced here. Even my African friends, generally, right. there are some exceptions, but generally speaking, you the, even them, they don't feel like they have the same type of fears that we would experience in America. And ironically, one of my first introductions to how to deal with the Ukrainian cop came from Ukrainians who were saying, Terrell, do you know what Musr is? Do you know what Musr, Musr, Terrell, do you know? And for everyone who doesn't know, that's garbage. And I didn't know the word at the time. And so they, and they pointed and i was like i didn't know and mind you let me set the scene i was at a supermarket and we were outside we were outside of a supermarket and i don't know if the word beer is here in in, in, in mm-hmm. ukraine okay but basically it's just a hangout spot you know like we're just hanging out drinking beer mm-hmm. and sometimes out in my neighborhood people would see me they would get used to me and say hey Terrell, guys, come talk to us and drink some beer and i would just say okay i want to learn some russian and you know just interesting to see what these people are talking about and so and this would be, in America, it will be considered loitering, <laughs> but mm-hmm. but you know, um, but people do it all the time. And going back to this story, I remember um, the, 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 these people um, were like, it was three of them, like a, a couple of women and, and some guys, and they were like, Toro, do you know what garbage is? Do you know what mooser is? And they pointed at a cop walking walk to his car. You know, and, and they're like, and, and they just went on about how trashy, like they hate the cops, right. you know, and and, and but it, but I but going back to another point that you said, you talk about um, the gulags, right? Yeah. And, you, and and I and and sometimes you think there are so many similarities with our oppression because you may not understand American racism, you may not understand because you didn't grow up with it, mm. but neither of us likes oppression. So why are you? so reviled and so offended by us fighting against yeah. our right. oppression when you have gone through your own form right. of oppression?
1: That's a great question. But let me first say about the police violence. A lot of people don't uh, don't really understand here that police violence is real and uh, that the, the racism uh, is uh, institutionalized with American police, unfortunately. And also the level of competence, quite frankly. I'm really disappointed with American police, what I'm seeing. Uh, with all amount of money being spent on specific trainings of how to deconflict, you know, and yet the first thing they do, they grab their gun and they shoot. You know, uh, with all those tasers and everything. What happened in Atlanta already, you know, in the parking lot of that uh, fast food restaurant? What happened with uh, Jacob Blake? Was what, what, what happened? You know, just shoot and then ask questions. I mean, that's a Wild West mentality. You know, that's uh, something that should have been left for good, you know, in the 19th century, but it's still there. How come you have you know, so seven or eight of you against one person who is unarmed, or even he's, he's armed? I mean, there must be other ways to resolve this issue it, but besides killing people you know, and putting like uh, dozens of bullets into him. And that's really strange. You know? So I think that's why, to me personally, the whole slogan of defund the police, or at least reform the police, but radically reform it, not just some cosmetic changes, but serious changes, they make a lot of sense to me because people cannot be satisfied when they see that level of performance and that bias America, among American political force. Yeah, and then uh, another thing is uh, why people, a lot of people here don't understand the, the, the They they often see them politicized as well. Uh, you, you, you're right. I mean, that's one interesting thing that uh, here in Ukraine we had two Maidans, two massive political popular movements among the people who were fed up with the government and they went into the streets and they demanded change and actually achieved change both times in 2004 and then later on to 2014, 10 less later. And yet in this country, where people have now this uh, proud legacy of people marching in the streets for their rights and demanding change from the government uh, and, uh, you know, demanding to correct the wrongs, uh, yet you have misunderstanding what's happening in America. So So one thing that they don't think in America, the serious wrong exists. That's another thing. Going back to what we already said, you know, people just don't think that there is a serious wrong. You know, uh, they think that's an imaginary problem. It doesn't exist. The racism is almost non-existing. And why are these people complaining about? They don't understand here. And the second problem is that uh, they probably think that their f- struggle for freedom was right and, and 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 a noble cause, but somehow in America it wasn't. And so uh, a lot of yeah elaborate yeah on that. yeah you know yeah, that? yeah yeah. So. So they think like, okay, we had a corrupt government, for instance, uh, uh, and uh, uh, he ordered beating students. That's uh, last Maidan, Euromaidan, Revolution of Dignity, 2013-2014. And that's why we stood up against it. But what's the problem in America? In America it's not a massive problem. It's not the bad government. It's maybe some bad people on the local level, some policemen, but it's not systemic. So that's another thing. A lot of people, even when people say, OK, police is wrong, what they did to those black people when they killed them. Uh, but it's exceptional cases. So there is no understanding here that this is an avalanche of cases. This is a system. There have been many George Floyds before George Floyd. And unfortunately, already since George Floyd died, there have been other George Floyds. And I want to give the Ukrainians
0: a break here because white Americans, too many of them, too many Americans across the board think the same way. So we'll give the Ukrainians a little bit of a break here. <laughs> right,
1: right, right. So there are two things, and then uh, one thing uh, that uh, uh, also people think it's politicized. Uh, they often think that protesters in America are paid for, and I mean, and yeah, oh yeah, they're funded by Soros or someone or some liberals. You know, yes, yes, and that's also a legacy of our Maidan. Some people here in Ukraine thought that our protesters in the streets were also paid by oligarchs or something. So rich people here in Ukraine. So that's a mentality of oh, oh no, no, no. Why would that people you know go into the streets?
0: Let me ask you a quick question. Yeah. Um, I think the the whole Soros funding protest and yeah. funding yeah. revolutions is all based in anti-Semitism. Let's just just be clear because the thing. So so let's talk about the Ukrainian oligarchy here. Uh, there are a lot of, um, you know, several of our oligarchs here, they have Jewish backgrounds. Right. Right. That's the key thing. And so, um, and our the, current president, too. And our, and our current president is Jewish. And so, I mean, what well, I'm saying, our Ukrainian president yeah. is, is is Jewish. And yeah. so, basically, I'm, I'm, I want to go in, more into that because okay. there is, you know, anti Semitism is international, but that point about the protests being paid. I find that there is some um some anti Semitism based in that because we have it in America too because George Soros was trending on Twitter just you know, like literally right now, right? Because anytime something is going on with protest, oh George Soros did it, or it's like the Jews did it. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and unfortunately, including uh, a lot of people in the African American community who have this anti Semitic use yeah, as well. So that's a that's a problem. That's true. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. When Ice Cube says something like that or yeah, that was not, a, a very
0: anti-Semitic. Not yes, not
1: to true. mention Louis Farrakhan and others. Very, very yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. so that's a problem that needs to be dealt with. Yeah. In a way like a late honorable John Lewis did you know he just didn't want to do anything with those people and he was a voice of African American community and yet he said because you are uh, you know violently virulently anti-semitic i don't want to have anything to do with you and that's another conversation that needs to be had and i know that it's happening in an African American community but yes anti-semitism in many ways is similar to anti anti-negro anti-black feelings so uh and here in ukraine some people too uh, they actually deny that anti-semitism exists but the level of acceptance of idea that it does exist is much broader than uh, the level of acceptance of the idea that uh, discrimination against blacks exists in, in America. So because a lot of people actually knew many cases and so many cases of anti-Semitic feelings. So and even here in Ukraine, you know, with oligarchs, many oligarchs being Jewish, and the president being Jewish, and the former prime minister Groysman being Jewish, and so on. Uh, so many in political elite uh, on a habitual level and even the political level as well, uh, anti-Semitism exists. So that's they kind of coexist at the same time. You know, that's, so that's, that's that's interesting. And then. Uh, uh, another thing is uh, a lot of people here in Ukraine, they see protests in America as a sign of weakness of America. And that's where I disagree, you know, and that's where I often, uh, you know, get uh, uh, bad press from other colleagues and friends because they definitely see it as America polarized, America getting weaker, you know, the protests in the streets, that means America is uh, down on its knees and so on. And I disagree completely because I think it's a sign of, 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 of actually of strength that a society can approach Uh, the issue, the painful issue in such a direct way and there is a massive political movement across the country, not only in big cities, but in small cities as well, basically all over America. And you have everyone participating, not just black, but a lot of whites. And that's, yeah. and that's a major, major uh, new element in, in this particular protest movement that you have a lot of whites taking part, in. especially okay. especially in the young, among youngsters, yes, of course, of course. So so I see it as strengths. Like here in Ukraine, we had two Maidans, I see it as strengths. And what America is having right now, I see it as strengths. When you are fed up, when you're dissatisfied, you, you go into the street you know, demand your rights. I mean of course there are legal uh, mechanisms like you can vote and, and you shoot, but at the same time you know when you, when no amount of demonstrations and manifestations uh, bring change, uh, then you need to, to do something else. And that's where it comes to rights, you know, and that's another thing. A lot of people say, OK, but, uh, you know, Martin Luther King, we have a lot of respect for him, Dr. King, but he was all about, against the rights. You know, he was for this nonviolent uh, struggle for the civil rights. But even, even King said that, yes, rights, I don't like rights. They're self-destructive, but at the same time, they are the voice of unheard. So when you have millions of people who are unheard, who are ignored, you know, like like who are talking about this blacks being killed in the streets of America and, and, and the cops who did it uh, getting away with it, you know, uh, easily. You know, when when you have a lot of this anger and dissatisfaction accumulating, what other way to, to, to make your voice heard other than going to the streets? And sometimes that leads to the riots, you know, and that uh, should be understood. And I'm trying to, if not, you know, condone the riots, you know, I'm trying to justify the rights and explain where they're coming from, that the people are fed up. They, they have despair. They don't see other avenues or other methods to, to, to demand more rights and, and so on and the change situation. So uh, I see this protest as a sign of strength of America unfortunately, they coincided as well in time with coronavirus epidemics and the the, the slowing down of economy and the Trump and, you know, presidency and this being election year. So there are many confluences here in time, and I think there is a connection actually between the Russian protests and everything else I've just mentioned. You know, because the people you know big people who suffered from epidemics. And in and, and percentage-wise, a lot of Blacks have suffered more in bigger cities, in yeah. urban centers, mm-hmm. and so on. Uh, and that has something to do with, with, with the protest as well, I think. Because mm-hmm. to them, to a lot of Blacks in America, that was also a manifestation that society doesn't care about them. That's why we are dying in such a huge... Yeah, that's true. In, it's all, it's all
0: of this connected. In big numbers, yes. Yeah, so so. I'm interested in you um, and how you got to the point where you are able to explain America to Ukrainians like this because I take a lot of pride to take every opportunity to speak to Ukrainians about my country. And I feel like the work that uh, Hannah Nicole Jones mm. does and all of my other colleagues in America are doing the groundbreaking work they do, I feel like I have an ambassadorial connection with their work to this part of the world. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I talk about policy a lot of things, but much of my time I talk about, just have an expanded understanding of America, but I'm interested in how you got to this point? Because you could have been just like any other Ukrainian. Mm. You speak, you know, you're speaking to me in outstanding English. You've been to America. You taught at American schools. Mm. You could have gone down a different course to think that these black people are violent, whatever, what have you. You could have done the same thing because it's again, it's it's one thing to have your position in Ukraine. It's another thing to be a renowned scholar in this country who has gone to America consistently and you see us. So what makes you, you?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great question. I mean, personal, obviously. And uh, I think uh, when when I believe in what I believe and I think that I know what is, how, what is right, then I need to deliver this, uh, you know, the truth, this message to my friends and compatriots here. Uh, when I know more about America and I know about the strengths of America, I talk about it. When I know about the faults of America, the weak points of America, uh, mm-hmm. some some things that Americans are obviously and for good reason are not happy about, I talk about that. So it should be, first of all, a balanced picture of America. Uh, second of all, yes, the racism exists it's, and, it's, and it is institutionalized, specifically in, in the work of police uh, and law enforcement in America. So that's a, that's a problem, That that's a truth that needs to be brought Uh, to the light here and I'm not gonna give up I mean uh, I often uh, take a view which is not popular maybe with the public like for instance for you know just for comparison here in this region I always was for Ukraine joining NATO uh, because i thought it's going to be going to be good for ukrainian national interests and to defend ourselves from threats specifically russian threat uh but most people here the decision never thought so I you have mean, to explain
0: what here means for people yeah. who don't understand yeah ukraine. oh
1: the, oh sorry yeah that's the south of ukraine uh odessa region south of ukraine also eastern ukraine where you have a lot of. Ethnic uh, Russians, but also Russian-speaking Ukrainians who are very much influenced by Russian propaganda. A lot of them uh, uh, think that Russia is a friend, even now when we had six plus years war with Russia in the east of Ukraine. But yet uh, there is a lot of this pro-Russian feelings and therefore why do we need to go west uh, and uh, why do we need to go to European Union or US or become part of North Atlantic Treaty Organization. But that's why, since we have this war with Russia, we now understand we cannot fight it uh, uh, without foreign support, international support. We need that support. And, uh, you know, and that's so uh, the reason I brought it up is because I knew that the 70, 80 percent maybe in the city uh, were not friendly to the idea of Ukraine becoming part of NATO. And yet I often again and again and again in public interviews and on the TV, I spoke, I spoke my view. And the same thing here. I mean, I mean, luckily enough, we're not living in society when when your view like maybe in Belarus today, right? That's another parallel. Yeah, if you you say (laughs) something against (laughs) Lukashenko, yeah, if you say something against Lukashenko publicly, you're a journalist or political figure, you're in danger of being arrested, beaten, tortured. Here, Uh, uh, it's it's very different. I want to tell you that, I want to let people know, because they often ask me about these
0: comparisons, Ukraine and Belarus are completely two different worlds.
1: Or even Ukraine and Russia. Yes, very much so. I mean, uh, if you are having this uh, minority view, uh, not politically correct, maybe sometimes, not something that people would agree with you, not something that the government would like uh, to hear from you, Uh, still you're okay in Ukraine and you've been for most of the time since Ukraine got its independence in 1991. You've been in this position and I know this pretty well. As a university professor, I can be very critical of our government still talking to my students without, uh, without any fear and knowing that there'll be no repercussions for me, or no retribution, or no uh, you know punishment for me for saying that. So that's a big deal, You know that helps. If you have some kind of a view that many people don't understand or don't agree, you're still free to present it. And maybe after some time, uh, they'll start to rethink what they thought on this issue. Like you said, actually, a number of times, including in that famous uh, 2005 Washington Post article, that you've noticed here, the, the opportunity for you to talk to people yep. and make them change their attitudes and mm-hmm. beliefs specifically on this racist issue yeah, mm-hmm. yeah w- was that was that the case yeah, yeah. yeah i mean
0: i found it so the thing the reason being i found there, there are a couple reasons so i can't overstate the fact i can't overstate enough how I'm, how critical it was for me to be an american in a lot of these conversations because i find that there's a lot of anti-african sentiment right right and so it's all based on A lot of it is based on your passport. Mm -hmm. And so because I come from America, there's it may not be reverence, but it's just a respect that you get from being an American where people listen to you, where I've the stereotypes that I have heard Mm -hmm. and I have checked have been that, oh, this person is from Nigeria, this person is from this other country. And so who are they to tell us about? anything regarding development, even though there are a number of democracies on the continent of Africa that are more stable than Ukraine, right? I mean, it's just a fact, okay, where the transitions have gone on peacefully, you know, in ways in which they have not taken place in Ukraine, right? And so, and, you know, I have to have those conversations too. So I'm saying, like, I think that's pretty critical, but generally speaking, um, it doesn't negate the fact that I'm black, and I still have to have those conversations, and so I, I, I was. I'm. I've often been very happy and optimistic mm. about Ukrainians that I encounter, whether they speak English, whether I'm having the conversations in Russian, uh, that they are willing to learn, and that's the reason why I'm here, and the reason why I continue to. Go to classes and improve to improve my Russian. And I'm mm-hmm. starting Ukrainian next week because I want to be able to speak to people in their own language right. about America, just as I'm talking to you to in the next year or so uh, conduct these conversations in Ukrainian mm-hmm. so that people, more people, will hear. Because I think there's a lot of optimism uh, for Ukraine uh, when compared to a lot of places. I mean, the fact that it can go through two revolutions shows progress and and this is a different place from when i came 10 years ago even my african friends who i who i will always say they experience more here because they're in the universities they have to deal with the infrastructure in ways that i don't yeah. but even they have acknowledged that there are some there's some progress you know between 10 years ago and now And you know i've you know now even though you see this rise of of nationalism and white right-wing extremism, a lot of it coming from America, right? I mean, there are a lot of networks that come from America that are based here with the right extreme here, but you see a lot of people pushing back. You see campaigns against racism, things that you didn't see before. And so this is, and the reason why I come here, because I feel like there's so much hope, um, you know, and I think it's a beacon for the rest of this region. But I, I wanna talk to you about America one thing you also specialize in is U.S yeah. politics mm-hmm. is um is, is U.S politics yes. and when, <laughs> people were shocked yeah. when Trump won mm-hmm. and now that they know who Trump is and what he has done mm-hmm. how do you teach mm-hmm. this? to your students?
1: Well, it's hard because, of course, Trump is not uh, linear and uh, he doesn't fit in the model too well of of, uh, of uh, typical traditional American politics. He is very much an aberration. So I think there is a Trumpism as a movement, but there is a Trumpology maybe <laughs> as, a, as a subject, a discipline of studies, really. And uh, I wrote so much about him. I maybe uh, could be a professor of Trumpology these days after <laughs> after three and a half years <laughs> of him <laughs> being there. Uh, he, he's a complicated figure on, on one hand, of course, a bigot and everything, and then a racist and stuff like that. <laughs> but on the other, he's complicated and he speaks in the voice of the people many people in america unfortunately which makes it even more difficult to deal with so this talk about that because yeah. he is speaking yeah for a yeah yeah of america right he's harmful in many ways because he's reinforcing this racist uh, uh, you know impulses in people uh, and that's another thing he basically tells them it's okay to be racist for instance uh to be xenophobic to hate people who are not like you who look not not like you it's okay not to be not to have empathy It's okay not to care about who are dying from COVID, for instance. You know, all these messages, they're very much hurtful. And when they are... Uh, conveyed by someone who sits in over office in the White House, you know that means a lot of Americans, millions of Americans, saying, "Oh, that's probably okay. That's fine now. It's normalized, and it shouldn't be normalized. That's a big problem." So f- I hope that he will not be reelected for for Me the too. yeah for the for, the, for the, <laughs> you know for the for the better of America for the better of the world because actually America is missing right now in terms of international. Uh, cooperation and, and from many frameworks, and then uh, of course here in Ukraine, because we still have this ongoing conflict with Russia in Donbas and Crimea is still occupied by Russia, we very much depend on America. Luckily enough, the rest of Trump administration knows that. You know those people who who he once called radical unelected bureaucrats, but they are in the department department of defense they're in state department and they know that ukraine needs to be supported but, but the messages forward. but the messages that coming from him on nato on eu on germany on ukraine i mean i mean he basically only lies dictators he basically praises this di- dictators so that's a big issue here and then we talk about that and uh, and that's another problem but here on the issue of racism i really hope that my compatriots will keep the open mind and uh, that they would uh, address critically the stereotypes that they have going back to the subject of our conversation and uh, that uh, they would be uh, in position to uh, you know to change their attitudes if they see that they're not uh, you know meeting the reality here but to explain what reality is that's a job for people like me and my colleagues who teach and talk about america here in this country
0: several of your colleagues were at the talk I hope you're not the only one who's at least trying to initiate these conversations because you have some very intelligent colleagues, at least the ones that I met after we went out and we spoke. Um, I actually interviewed uh, Polina. Mm -hmm. uh, And you all hear about that episode. Polina is the head of the Odessa, um, I think it's called the- the Center for Non-Proliferation. Yes, thank you, Center for Non-Proliferation. So we have an episode that's gonna be coming out soon about uh, nuclear weapons non-proliferation between Polina and her colleague and Russia mm-hmm. not only not from Moscow but from the but from the regions and mm-hmm. so um, so that's what we're talking about but I'm saying you have a lot of intelligent people and so I just hope that your message is spreading to other folks.
1: It is spreading, yes. Uh, there is a younger generation now of America, of Ukrainian scholars who are interested in America and they are not interested in just confirming to the stereotypes uh, the old and not true stereotypes and they're trying to break, uh, you know, to break the new wave of uh, interest and knowledge about America. I've seen those people, you know, fresh off the student bench, so to speak, and they're my younger colleagues and that's why I'm hopeful. Yeah, so. I wanna thank you
0: so much for coming and talking because I've always wanted to talk to you and have more conversations with Ukrainians about, especially Ukrainians who've traveled to America to talk about how they communicate with their students because while I enjoy speaking to Ukrainians about America and talking about race, the fact that you are here, you are a professor, you are born here, you are Ukrainian your consistent conversation, your your consistent work, in addition to inviting people like me, is what's going to make a difference. And so, I'm happy that you're on the show. But also, just to talk about your own experience of being in America, your sure. own critiques, because I think like we need to hear mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. Ukrainians yeah, the feedback, yeah. the feedback yeah. about yeah. how they see America, mm-hmm. you know. And we, we need to hear that. And and that and not only that, you're not just somebody who traveled there. You you you're you're a scholar. You studied. You live. You mm-hmm. taught in America. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know, you. I I honestly, I feel like you've done more work to understand America than many Americans. And I'm, and I'm, and it's not, it's not just a compliment. I say it because I believe it's true.
1: It's probably, thank you, but it's probably right. But uh, it's also natural because often people don't, are not interested in their own country. That happens, yeah. The same with Ukrainians. A lot of Ukrainians uh, don't travel around Ukraine, don't know many regions in Ukraine. Uh, but at the same time, they travel extensively in the West or in Europe or elsewhere in Asia. So that's not necessarily an American phenomenon. Uh, I Actually, I often uh, rebel against the stereotype that all Americans are arrogant and ignorant and didn't know anything about the rest of the world, because I met so many Americans who are not like that. So, but I understand you. The, they live in a great country, huge country, big country, very much self-sufficient country. And, the, uh, you know, and that's uh, why sometimes that's the case. So, so I guess uh, this conversation is very important and having people like you, Terrell, coming here and, and doing the talks, and maybe if you apply for Huber and then come here and yeah, it. I'm applying. Uh, so doing a course. hopefully of COVID, yeah. Yeah. COVID I'll. You
0: know. If, if Fulbright sends me, I'll be here.
1: So I'm very much believe in this human uh, to human kind of people to people contacts uh, people like you need to come here people like me need to come to us and next time i come to us i'll do an extra effort to have a talk or talks maybe in the uh, historically black uh, colleges and universities mm-hmm. which i haven't done in the past i can help you yeah that'll be great so so we need to reinforce this context okay
0: hey, thank, thank you so much for coming coming on the show and by the way we are recording this live in my backyard of my airbnb in a quiet part of odessa what part of odessa are we in by the way fontana yeah yeah Yeah, yeah. so we are near the sea exactly so i'm about 20 minutes away uh, via walk to the beach uh so just giving you a location of where we are so this is black diplomats we did a show um until next time y'all peace Thanks for tuning in to Black Diplomats. We especially want to shout out our patrons. If you like this episode, please become a patron at the link in the episode notes. Also, rate and subscribe to Black Diplomats on your favorite podcast platform. The intro and outro music is brought to you by my fellow Detroiter, Tall Black Guy.